This is Women Who Rock, a podcast promoting female musicians and artists. Today I am joined by Hetty from alternative folk duo Hetty Blaza. Hetty, welcome to SER. Thank you so much. Thanks for coming along. I really love the sound of Hetty Blaza. In the last maybe year, I've really fallen in love with violin <laughs> or Me too. fiddle, being in places where maybe it traditionally isn't. Yeah, I think for me, it was driven by listening to a podcast with Dr. Carl. And he said that when he was a young hippie, he had a song by Frank Zappa as his like alarm. Okay. It's a song called Directly From My Heart To You. And it's kind of like this big, heavy blues, but it has violin. And there's this like two minute insane violin solo. And ever since listening to that, I've really thought, I love violin in places that it isn't normally. So in uh, Hedy Blaza is a is a two piece. It's a duo. Yeah. Uh, you have a violinist that you play with. Can you tell us a bit about I guess the original decision to have that kind of instrumentation where you're in a folk band and you have guitar and violin? Yeah, sure. Look, I'm exactly the same to be honest. Like I love the violin in all its formats. Mm. Um, I think the main thing for me was. I really, I fell in love with the instrument because I actually studied jazz guitar at uni, even though my love was always more like folk contemporary stuff. But at the uni, I studied jazz to do jazz or classical. Mm. And I've never been super into jazz music. I've always been interested in the kind of fringe of jazz, but not your traditional kind of standard stuff. So I got super into Django Reinhardt and Stefan Grappelli. And I got super, super into the violin playing there and the way the violin and the guitar would interact with each other. So I just got really, really interested in that. And then I met a violinist who I was studying music with as well. That's Marcella, who I Mm. now play with. And she also really loved that kind of jazz folk and where they come together. And that was how we started doing things. So it came originally from a jazz setting and moved to folk, I guess. Because, yeah. I mean, when I hear jazz, I kind of think improvisation. Yeah. So when you're writing songs for Hedy Blaza, which I guess we can put under a broad uh, umbrella of alternative folk, but I think there's a lot of nuance into the sound. Mm. When you are going through the writing process, how much improvisation is there uh, with the violin parts? Yeah, so much. Um, and I think we have a very kind of improvisational live performance. We never, like we've always got kind of, very vague structures of course you've got like chorus verse everything that I've written out all the lyrics but even in terms of like I guess the the jazz sentiment of responding to each other in a live setting Mm. we're very interactive Uh, the violin parts are all written by Marcella and she'll vary them quite a lot even with our timing we're very kind of loose in our timing it's one of the main reasons that I've really resisted having a drummer in the group, even though live, I think you get a lot more across with drums and bass. Having that duo format really allows us to keep things very loose and still be able to pull it off. Mm. Do you know Sydney artist Bonnie songs? Yeah, I've heard 
uh, a little, but I've never seen them live. She, I heard her on the podcast. Oh, cool. She was great. She's on Artist Catharsis, the, uh, the record label. Yeah. There, I love everything that it comes from Artist <laughs> Catharsis. I saw her launch. Yeah. Uh, in, it was last year. And I feel as though seeing that kind of changed my perspective of percussion. Because I come from a more, most of the, sh- the gigs that I went to like four or five years ago mm. is rock. Yeah. It's like a four piece rock band and we play drums and that's the percussion. But I think now, particularly from doing the podcast, I'm sort of branching out and getting, yeah, I guess more of a, a non-traditional understanding of what percussion means. So in Hedy Blaza, do you have a... I guess, a goal to have a really fluid performance and everyone is different uh, from the last one? Or is it something that just happens organically with the percussion? I don't know. I mean, I suppose it didn't start out that intentional, but it has become something that I really like to keep every performance fresh. And me and Marcella now really consciously do that Mm. um, because I guess fundamentally you're playing the same songs most sets you know you vary them somewhat but you want to really make uh kind of things interesting for yourself and you're also approaching a song that you may have written when you're in a certain mind frame and now you're in a completely different perspective Mm. so you'll come to the song in a different way you'll perform it in a different way um we have experimented a little bit with percussion not in a live setting but you know we've we've had some like looped drums for a few live sets that I've like played around with on a loop pedal we've done some stuff recorded but every time I really like to keep it kind of as open as it can be Mm. Uh, yeah when I was hearing that I was thinking about yeah my favorite band is the White Stripes and they when they played even in front of like 20,000 people audience they didn't have a set list yeah they just when even in the minute when they walk on the stage, pick up the guitar, they're in front of twenty thousand people. Yeah, they don't know what's going to happen. Is that how you approach a heady blazer set, <laughs> or is there a bit more structure underneath it? Look, there is some structure underneath it. I mm. think fundamentally, I'm a pretty organised person, um, which I know is lame to admit, but it's true. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll have like I will have a set list out, um, but we do keep things pretty open. Like quite often, I have a few songs that. I might slot in if I want or I'll, you know, skip a few songs and go back. I do like to I like to have something to fall back on for those shows where I'm not really feeling it and I just kind of have to rely on, I guess, your muscle memory to just get through the show. Mm. Um, but when I am feeling it or when I can respond to the audience and respond to Marcella and just have that kind of fresh, I guess, improvisational energy, I really try to go with it as much as I can. I'd like to go back to something you said before. You said you're very interested in the fringe of jazz. Yeah. I know about blues, but I don't know that much about jazz. What do you, I guess, what is it that drew, how do you describe the fringe of jazz? Yeah. And what is those elements that really drew you to it from the really kind of classical standards maybe? Yeah, look, I guess the main, I should qualify that a little bit. What I really don't like is bebop, um, which is kind of that super like, it's very in at the moment. It was right in when I was at university. It's that kind of very fast, heaps of improvisation, mm. a lot of chops. You're really kind of showing off, typically kind of swung. Um, I'm not super into playing that. I've never really, like, I, I know, you know, it's a great genre. It's very impressive, but it's never really, I guess I've never felt it. And for me, like, no matter how physically impressive 
something is or how technical it is, if I can't kind of feel something when Mm. I listen to it, it does nothing for me. So I guess out of that, though, what I really valued was the improvisational nature of jazz, but also the way that things are kind of pushed to the unexpected, the whole way that chord substitutions work, um, the whole way that you're kind of leaving people hanging for that resolution uh, harmonically. That's something that I really, really loved. And Mm. I love where that then goes into other genres. So I really like your kind of more folky stuff, your gypsy jazz on that side of it. But then I'm also simultaneously really into where like hip hop and R&B meet jazz as well. Okay. So maybe more of a, yeah, a departure from the very heavy technical aspect of jazz and more into a feeling. Yeah, totally, totally. A a feeling, but also with that goal to innovate. Like, I I think it's cool when jazz pushes other genres to do something a little bit different, you know, Mm. like, because folk, like, a folk, I guess, is if I had to put on my favourite genre of music, but it's also very kind of, it's emotional, but it can get boring and formulaic. Whereas the thing about adding just a hint of jazz that kind of pushes things into that Mm. realm of the unexpected. Well, folk is a complicated umbrella term, right? Yeah. Because the concept of folk music has changed so much over time from being a traditional kind of a song that was passed down to becoming, I mean, in the early 60s, it was almost like the pop Mm. genre. Yeah. We should have a chat about your song. So you're actually on tour at the moment. Yeah, I am. Yeah. Uh, Um, Right in the middle. Of the tour for A Happy Song. Yeah. And it is, I think it's really interesting. The first time I heard it, I kind of felt like it was a song in two parts. Because you were talking about verse and chorus before. Yeah. And there's such a big contrast between the vibe in the verse and the chorus. Can you tell us a little bit about the reasoning behind having that contrast? Yeah, cool. Uh, So I guess the main thing with this one was it was a very different songwriting process to how I normally write songs. Mm -hmm. Uh, Generally, I just sit down and like a song just kind of comes to me and it just literally will be written within 10 minutes and I may make some minor alterations later on, but it's like pretty much that's the song that came out. Mm. This song was one that I really mulled over for ages. Um, I'd written this verse and I just kind of couldn't find what I wanted to go with it. And then suddenly one night I was just hanging out the washing and this chorus came into my head and I thought they were two separate songs initially, which is I think why they sound so dramatically different. But as I kind of realised that the themes really, I guess what connected the verse and the chorus for me was not so much music Uh, but the themes and the lyrics, and I realised that they were really the same song. And I think what happened really was I was trying to kind of smooth things over a little bit, Uh, but when I first performed it to the band for the recording, I think there was something that still naturally within me would slow down and make the verse very, very distinct from the chorus. Okay. So when we were playing with that, we kind of got the arrangement and everyone in the band wanted to just really embrace that and really like lean into the tempo change and like lean into the kind of very different textures. So we just decided to go with it. So I guess it kind of is two songs in Mm. one. Do you use, did you use a click track? 
when you're recording that? Because that sounds like a difficult undertaking. <laughs> so I genuinely can't remember. I okay. don't think we did in the end because we okay. went back and forth in the studio over and over again. Are we going to use a click? Are we not? Mm. We took a few drum takes with the click and a few without. And I think in the end we went without. Okay. Simplify. Yeah. I like Simplify. I like the song as well. Oh, thank you. Let's have a listen. Cool. This is the song that Hedy Waza is touring with at the moment. It is called A Happy Song. Honestly, why do you even talk to me? I can see your eyes drift around your train.
that was a happy song. The newest track from Hedy Blaza, which are actually touring at the moment. We spoke a little bit before the, about the contrast between the verse and the chorus, and that you realise that there's actually one story flowing throughout. I want to read my favourite lyric and then talk about what the story is. Cool. One of the lines is, Alienation by design, non-working hours spent online. Can you tell us a bit of a, about the story that flows throughout the verse and the chorus? Yeah, cool. Um, so I guess it's it's not so much of a direct story as it is like a theme and like a feeling that I had at the time. Okay. And at the time I was actually just moving house and I kept going to house inspections and I kept like going to the inspection and like picturing my whole life in that house and how my entire world would be. And simultaneously I I would almost live that life through my head for a minute and then that also made me kind of be very nostalgic for where I was like and where I'd been and I was thinking about all the times in the past where I'd thought about how my life was going to be now and it was almost like how all those alternate things could have happened so it was like both a nostalgia and kind of a, a hope for the future, I guess. And that was kind of what ran through the whole song. Okay. So, like, I guess something that people say to me all the time in, in regards to that specific lyric is I write a lot of songs that are very negative and people get quite upset at me about that because I'm never very uplifting and people say, oh, I love your songs, but why are they so depressing? And I'm kind of like, oh... I want people to feel a little bit discontented when they listen to my music. I think there's something good about writing which makes people feel uncomfortable or like they need to change something. I don't kind of just want to entertain people. Mm -hmm. I really want to, I guess, make them think about things and evaluate things. And that's, I guess I'm a very reflective person. That's how I live. And I think a lot about the world that I live in now and that kind of alienated feeling and how I always feel like my life could be different if I pursued a different thing or if I lived in a different way Mm. and I evaluate the way that I live and wonder if it's right or not. And I guess that's kind of the song is me trying to express those kind of abstract thoughts into a piece. I can definitely understand the concept of moving house and feeling nostalgia. Yeah. I moved about six months ago and the place that I was in were there for eight years. Yeah. And I have to drive past it to and from the radio station. Oh. Sometimes I kind of drive past it and just slowly and then look at it and think, oh, I lived there for eight years, but I don't live there anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It's that real. And and I do exactly the same thing. Like I'm originally from Canberra and I go and drive past the house that I grew up in in Canberra and then I'll drive past my old house in Sydney And I'll think about how that was kind of like so much a part of who I was for that time. And now it almost means nothing to me. It's just like a place that I've gone past. Mm. And I know like Happy Song has absolutely nothing to do with houses. It has no lyrics about houses in it. But it was just a reflection of that very specific mood that was only brought about by moving house. Right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> that sounds a bit random, but it's it's true. I have. I guess I'm going to do a Q and A thing and yeah. also give a comment. We. I really love the violin lick 
at a minute 35. Yeah. And we both kind of felt it in the studio when we were <laughs> listening to it. So if you're listening to it, the podcast, you should go back and listen to the song. Listen to the violin lick at a minute 35 because it is so good. <laughs> and also, if you're in Sydney, you should come and see Hedy Plaza because you're on tour at the moment. I am, yeah. You are, you've been doing a few shows and you're in Sydney on the 25th yeah, yeah. of April. Yep. Uh, is this the biggest tour that you've done? Because you've done a bit of traveling before. Yeah, I have. Um, I think this is just the biggest. Like, I think we might have done six dates before or maybe five dates. This is a seven-date tour. So mm. we just did Goulburn and Braidwood last weekend and then we've still got five shows to go. And, yeah, Sydney on the... 25th of April, yep. so definitely need to check that out so we can see the violin licks Yeah, yeah, live. yeah, definitely. We'll be playing in duo form at the Golden Age. Golden Age, yep. which is a really beautiful venue. I'm so excited to play there. I've gone to maybe two or three shows and it's just been oh, the environment and the way that everybody listens, so I'm really thrilled to play that venue. They have a little cinema there as well. Yeah, I know, but I've never been. I, I really want to go. I saw uh, Liz Hughes. Yeah. She Her EP launch, they also had a video. Oh, I see. And they actually showed it in the intermission of the show. Oh, cool. Can you, Maybe you can do that. I don't know if that's difficult to organise logistically. Because it's a little... The cinema is maybe... Uh, 50 people can... It's pretty very intimate. It's a small, yeah. small area. Oh, cool. Uh, you have a video. Yes, for yes. a happy song. I do. I very much enjoyed the renewable energy <laughs> uh, theme. Yeah. And there's also a still from the video, which is the is on the merch, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. On the tote bags. So we actually uh, filmed the, the video out on a wind farm mm-hmm. uh, near Goulburn, New South Wales, kind of between Goulburn and Crookwall in New South Wales. Um, and it didn't, like, obviously this song was never about renewable energy, but it became quite environmental because we actually shot it during the New South Wales bushfires. So it was very, very smoky landscape, and we also had this, like, obviously wind turbines everywhere. And so something I really love about the video is that, like, certain lyrics took on a new meaning which they never meant to. So, for example, there's this line... Uh, every time I go outside, I don't know if it's going to be all right. And my my sister, who made the video for me, it uh, cut to this shot of just a wind turbine spinning in the smoke, and it suddenly given the song this whole extra layer mm. of meaning, which was very cool. You spoke about, quite early in the show, about the idea of you write a song in a particular headspace. Yeah. And then you write it, uh, you might play it a year later or two years later, and it's almost, it's kind of like you're covering your own song because you've gone through all these different experiences and maybe you're in a different headspace. Yeah. Can you see, you've just released this song what, a couple of months ago, mm. can you see yourself in two years playing this song at a live show and having a new interpretation of the meaning? Yeah, totally. I think because this song has that kind of theme which connects it rather than a specific story which I'm telling, uh, I think I'll be able to relate to it in lots mm. of different moods. Which And also the way that it kind of, for me, it plays between you know future and past, I think that will always be relatable for me. Mm. So it'll be interesting to see how I approach it. Yeah, it will be interesting. It's like an experiment for yourself Yeah, <laughs> to see how do you take that theme and fit it into future... Versions of yourself, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Uh, we mentioned the tote bags before. Yeah. That's really cool. Thank you. Uh, are you going to have them at the shows? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll have them. So we actually just took a still from the video mm. um, and then I traced it like with this app. 
So it's like an image from the video on the totes. Uh, mm. We printed them out. I'll definitely have them for sale all through the tour. So. Staring at the pieces, I don't know just where they fit. I try to look for the horizon, try to find the corner bit, but the sky changes with perspective. It is time for Tell Me a Thing, where I have a list of seven topics and I ask you to choose one. And tell me something about it. The seven topics are musical equipment, recording equipment, poetry, Patti Smith, who will be touring Australia pretty soon, uh, punk rock, death, and politics. So, Hetty, can you please tell me a thing? All right. So, I'm just going to go... Let's go for politics. Okay. So, I guess it's a good week for it. Um, Some would say good, some would say bad. I'm super cut about the U.S., Democratic primary. Mm. Um, it's made me very upset. I was very much Team Bernie since 2016, and I've been really, really hoping for his success. So it was super devastating for me uh, to see Joe Biden take the lead. Is it official? <clears throat> or we're still. I mean, he hasn't lost, he hasn't pulled out as such, but it's such a lead that I think it will be hard for him to come back. So 20% or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think it was, I mean, I know this is pretty foolish, but ever since the election in Australia, I've been really depressed about the state of the world. And I've been really, really putting like all my eggs into one basket. I was like, oh no, Bernie's going to win and it's going to be amazing. And there'll be a revolution in the US and it's just going to be amazing. And since that hasn't happened, it's been a very sad week. You've been following Bernie Sanders for quite a while. Yes. <laughs> Is there a particular policy of his that you really can get behind? Look, I mean, I think in general, just to see socialism being discussed as a viable option in the US is a really nice thing. I suppose the main thing, like from the perspective of of the US, universal health care seems like it would be the main thing that's attractive. Mm. Um, obviously, there's heaps of things, but I think specifically having been in the US during the last Democratic primary and just having experienced the ordeal of having to prove that you're insured before a doctor will see you, mm. you know, it, it's a very scary feeling. So, have you? I actually saw the Joe Rogan episode oh, that yeah. he did. Have you seen that? No. Okay. I thought it was good. It went for, it was only an hour, which is very short by Joe Rogan standards. Yeah. But he said something that I found very interesting. Okay. The idea that they have done costing for the universal health care in the US, and they suggest, they propose that the way they're going to pay for it is putting a tax on foreign exchange traders. So they have all of these very quick transactions where yep. people are doing forex uh, exchanging uh, trading and his idea was to put a, a tax that's like a fraction of a cent on those transactions and that would cover the cost okay that sounds amazing yeah to me i wonder about the potential uh pushback from very <laughs> rich people yeah in getting taxed like a trillion dollars over 10 years or something mm Mm. Look, I guess for me, uh, like I would describe myself as a socialist and I think that comes out in a lot of my songs as well. It's not really a secret. And it's just nice to see those ideas being expressed and especially in America, which seems to be, you know, the pinnacle of capitalism. I think I've officially 
reached the threshold of how much I'm comfortable of talking about politics in front of the <laughs> microphone. Yeah, no, me too. I, <laughs> I, I regret my choice. But no, it was good. I'm glad that we did it. Yeah. Um, Hedy, thank you so much for coming thank on Women Who Rock. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. Women Who Rock is proudly produced in the Sydney studios of Do As Are 107.3.